I'm your host, Rob Carbone. This is BD4. North Alabama. Isn't that, um, I'm pretty sure that's 256. I think that's the area code 256. That's what episode we're on tonight. It is Friday night as I speak, June 11th. As you are listening to this, it's most likely the morning of June 12th on a Saturday. So happy weekend, happy Saturday. Trying to watch, I'm finishing up the rest of this, finishing up watching the rest of this um, Philadelphia-Atlanta playoff game. Was this game three? It's game three or four? I think it's game four. Or is it game three? No, I think it's four. Because aren't the Sixers up three to, or two to one? How do they not have the score on the, on the scoreboard? The series score on the scoreboard? What the hell? I thought they usually did that. But Philly's about to take another win. And they're blowing them out, which is just tremendous. Um, Trey Young is balding, in case you didn't know. He looks like a New York sewer rat. <clears throat> a sewer rat, excuse me. But he got my... Uh... So I've been doing like a different... He got my 20 points. I've been doing a different strategy. I started this a while ago with FanDuel. But, and this is not an advertisement, so... I am not sponsored by FanDuel, but I, um, damn, they're trying their best to stay in it. But, uh, what I like to do a lot on FanDuel is to do like obvious, so with my parlays, I'll do like really obvious, like super obvious, super, um, what's it called? Super high odds legs. A bunch of them, a bunch of super high odds legs as opposed to like two, three, maybe four decent to low odds legs. But I'll do like a bunch of guarantee, a bunch of locks. And then maybe like I'll have like eight locks, eight things that I know is going to happen. And then one thing that has a decent chance. So the payout ends up being very good. And I've been doing, I, I started doing that like months ago and I was doing really good. And for some reason I shot away from it and just went back to normal parlays and I didn't do as good, but now I'm starting to do it again. And I I'm about to hit it tonight. I have the over on two, two or four and a half for the Sixers game along with Philly plus 14 and a half, just like things that, you know, are going to be locks and be 19 and a half hit the over there. Trey Young, same thing. Capella, seven and a half rebound over. A bunch of them. And the one thing that's really holding me back, and I'm going to be really pissed if he doesn't get it, because there's 50 seconds left and I'm not sure he has it yet. 
I had the over for three and a half rebounds on Ben Simmons. And if that's the one that's going to hold me back, I'm going to be really frustrated. Because last time I checked, he had three. And that was not even that long ago. So, I'm hoping... Oh, he got it. Okay, he got the fourth. Thank goodness. So that's good. I just want a big, giant, ten-leg parlay. They're really good. Like, the odds... Because if you do a bunch of them, eventually they're going to give you some decent payout. Um, And then the Suns game, I have, a, I have a little small one for that. For the Suns, I've got over 216.5. And, um, and then I have the over for the Suns, 110.5. And, and then I got Booker. 25 and a half points over. I think this, that, that series is like, like the, the, the Nuggets haven't even looked competitive. They've not looked competitive the slightest bit. I don't know, man. The Suns have a damn good team. They got a good squad. It's that backcourt. Everybody knows their backcourt's good. You got Chris Paul as the veteran leader. He's the facilitator. He'll hit you the mid-range jump shots in the clutch. You've got Devin Booker, who's going to drop 35 to 40 points on you any given night. And then you've got, you know, Jay Crowder out there hitting threes, playing defense. You've got DeAndre Ayton holding down the front court at the five. Who's had a good postseason. Very good postseason. But the Nuggets, you know, it's clear they missed Jamal Murray. Having difficulties defending Phoenix and scoring like Phoenix is scoring without Jamal Murray. Listen, the Joker has, he won the MVP, but he's maybe he's got to be a little bit more aggressive knowing he's like the only go-to guy. Michael Porter Jr., now I don't know how he's doing. I, I was watching, the only time I heard Porter's name this postseason was when he erupted in that first quarter last series against Portland. One of the final games of the series. But I don't know if he's helping out at all. Yeah, but it's it's been a good postseason watch. I've enjoyed the games um, outside of the uh, the Knicks series. <laughs> Every other series has been fun to watch. Slowly getting over it, guys. Um, we'll be back with the Knicks on the pod soon. We'll do like an end of the season, end of the postseason, maybe a report card, and then we'll talk about some things in the off season. Still going to take some more time, but like we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm starting to think like I'm counting down already like four months and eight days until uh, the opening tip. <laughs> so, but I need a break in terms of just going deep into the Knicks pros and cons and, and just talking about them. I do need a break. So we're almost there. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, Hold on one sec. Yeah, it's been a fun playoffs. Oh, uh, the Joker just accepted his MVP award. This guy feel I, I always hate how they time that, dude. Like, you're down 0-2 on your home court now. You're just going to receive your MVP award. Oh, two of the play. I wouldn't be able to like feel good. That's some kind of shit that I wouldn't want to do. Then you're down zero and two, and now you're getting your MVP award in the playoffs, and you're down zero and two. Oh my god, I would not feel good doing that. Ugh. <sighs> 
It's like when they announced Julius got the um Didn't they do that? Was that Ju- was it when they announced Julius the MIP? Wasn't that like in the middle of when the Knicks were down in the series? I don't know. I feel like it was. But I would never like just shit like that. I can't as a if I was a player, I feel like I, I couldn't I'd vomit. You're gonna give me that right now? Oh great! Look who it is. God, got Ruko. We got Ryan Ruko on the booth. I just had to sit through him. Thank God the game is muted. I just had to sit through him and Cone. Talk in the in the yes booth. Now I gotta listen to this guy again. <laughs> Horrendous. Oh man. Alright. Um I was on Twitter earlier. People are getting on Anthony Rizzo because he said something that he doesn't feel comfortable getting the shot. Calm the fuck. Like, that's what I hate about this. Let people be, dude. Let people do what they want. Oh my god. Like, there's these, like, you know, Twitter warriors. Those, those activists. You know. Oh, gosh. Let the dude do what he wants. Hashtag this, that. Oh my god, I hate people so much. Sometimes I just can't do it with people, man. I just I just need a break from humans. Alright, we'll uh we'll get into this thing. Episode two fifty six of the podcast. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. You're listening to BD4. Maybe you're watching the podcast but yeah this is BD4 where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis um I'm your host RJ Carbone if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast and you just stumbled upon it be sure to subscribe to us Apple Podcasts Spotify Google SoundCloud many other listening platforms or you can watch the podcast on YouTube BD4. Subscribe to us, download the podcast, share the podcast, give us a five star rating if you like us on Apple Podcasts. Comment, leave us a comment, a review on any of these platforms. Share it on social media. I'd appreciate it. It really helps a lot with the, um, the pod alright so yeah I'm, I'm just trying to avoid talking Yankees because that shit still hurts I mean it doesn't really hurt though it just it just annoys me like I kind of lost feeling a while ago but it still bothers me because they won two. The series felt like it was scripted to be a sweep with the way everything went in the first two games. And then that happened. And now people are starting, you know, of course, I was saying how I didn't want that to happen. And now we're all, I, I'm, you're hearing Yankees fans go, well, hey, we took two out of three. No, you took two out of two and then you lost the third one. That's how you should look at it. Because if we keep settling, settling, and settling, 
we're going to keep playing like we are. Why do you think we're still, th what are we, 33 and 30? Because we keep settling. We need a sweep. We need a dominant stretch, even. Like, we need a stretch where we dominate. Unfortunately, that's tough to do. I get it. But unfortunately, that's the position that the Yankees put themselves in. Is being in need of a hot stretch. And we can't keep doing this shit where we disrupt the streak with a loss. A back-breaking loss, too. Hopefully that was a you know, positive indicator of a series, but it's the Twins. There was that stat. We're like 106 and 37 or something like that since 2002 against Minnesota. Including the postseason. We just bitched them around. So it's hard to look at this series and be like, hmm, maybe this is a good positive indicator because we always do this to them. But there were some bright spots offensively, which we'll touch on later. But I just don't like the whole thing. Oh, we took two out of three. Got to be happy with it. No, 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 no. We're at a point where we need to start sweeping teams. We need to start bitching teams. We are the Yankees. We got to be the evil empire to start winning. 33 and 30. That's not it. You keep settling. You're going to be like this. We'll be right back. We will be right back. So weird having a day off on a Friday, dude. That must be a first. At least in my life. Like, I don't remember having a day off on a Friday. Being a Yankees fan and, and not seeing it. Because Friday is like the day. I love watching the Yankees Friday night, 7 o'clock. Get home from work. The weekend's here. You get the Yankees on. Nothing. Oh, gosh. At least tomorrow, it's a perfect setup because tomorrow they're on at four. You know, they had, they went to, uh, took today to travel to Pennsylvania. So they're taking on the Phillies. That's a four o'clock game, which is fucking perfect. Fucking perfect because that ends around, you know, four to seven, seven thirty. And then I get to watch 263 from there. And I cannot wait for UFC 263. Solid card. Another great. It's going to be another great pay-per-view. I mean, you've got the, the fans back again. Oh, man. Not that I like when they... Not that I like when they have no fans on fight nights. But having all the fans... You know, having all these fight nights in a row. And then the occasional pay-per-view. You know, once or twice a month. With the, the, the full-packed crowd. I think it makes it... 
a little bit more exciting in that aspect because it's like you waited for a month to have that again you know you don't get it a lot so it's like oh every time you get it you love it but yeah it's fun and it's going to be a good card the main event uh the main card is is um you got marino marino and uh marino going up against um figurado i think last time i think they fought before and i think marino won and again, again, I, I'm fairly new to MMA, so I, I just called on last summer. So take it easy on me, but yeah, he, uh, I think Figueroa is the favorite, and then the, I think the co-main, I think the co-main is the Nate Diaz Leon Edwards fight. That's gonna be one. That's what now Leon is the favorite, but everybody loves Nate, and everybody's gonna be pulling for Nate. Nate's a funny guy. Nate's awesome. You know, I've always known, I've always known about Nate Diaz. You know who he is, his type. He's a funny, interesting character. But like since I started being a diehard MMA guy last summer, I love his guy. He's him and his brother Nick are fun. But Nate's Nate's hilarious. His interviews are off the charts. Epic. Speaking of, the press conference was lit. Because then you have the main event. Izzy Adesanya. And Marvin Vittori. I, and I love both of these fighters. I love Izzy. Been a big Izzy fan. But I really like Vittori. I really like him. What does he call himself? The Italian Dream, I think. Big fan of him, though. You know, he's he's a uh, gotta go for the Italian man. Gotta go for my heritage people. I'm rooting for him, but he's obviously another underdog. But that press conference yesterday, you could see he got really pissed. Izzy got Izzy is perfect at that man. Israel Adesanya can he's one like, very few guys can perfect that craft of getting into your mind and making you blow. And he did that just right to Vittori. He blew up on him. It was it was pretty interesting to watch. They were going at it. They were just yapping away. So was uh so were Figurito and Marino. It's going to be good. It's going to be really fun. And then you had Nate smoking a joint on the presser. Born the presser. Just Nate being Nate. I was watching. I was like, where's that smoke coming from? I looked and I looked at the, the camera pans right and it's, oh yeah, of course, it's Nate. Fourteen six. I tell you, Suns are winning. Denver just looks like shit. But I'm excited for two sixty three. I'm going. You know, a couple of my buddies and I are, are gonna throw. You know, a little. Uh, I don't know what I'll call it a party, but you know, a little get together. 
It's going to be a good event. I fall, I have like, I've fallen, I have fallen in love with this sport wholeheartedly. It's so epic. Certainly better than watching some YouTuber and TikToker fight. These exhibition money grab fights that they've got going on in boxing. With no result. Like what? I can't do it dude. I can't do that shit. It, it's so bad. But you don't get that. You don't get that. UFC you get real shit. Dana White will tell you. He's not about that. He says it all the time. Alright. Alright. Let's get to it. I guess. So the Yankees took the first two games, dropped the third game, failed to sweep in Minneapolis. And they had to settle for two out of three. The positive, you know, the pitching was pretty bad, but the positive is that the bats awoke. Now, hopefully the pitching doesn't start falling apart now, but the bats have awoke, at least for that series. We'll see what happens going forward. But you had a lot of guys. You have a lot of guys heating up potentially here. You know, we'll get into that in a sec later on in the podcast. But yeah, that um, obviously the, the the Garrett Cole stuff, which I don't want to get too into that. I'm just tired of hearing about it, talking about it. But we will hit on it later. Maybe when we start talking about game two, we'll, we'll, we'll talk talk on that more. Um, you know the some injury updates. I'm yeah. You guys know I'm not, I hate like the injury updates. I just like, I'm not a guy who like wants to know every single second what this guy's doing and how quick, like I'm a guy who just needs to know when they're back. Don't tell me when he's, you know, able to run sprint, run, run sprints or to do a jumping jack. Just tell me when the guy's coming back. That's all I need to know. But if there are some of you who, you know, do want to know. What's going on? Uh, I think they said Luke Voigt will begin his rehab assignment on Tuesday, which early to me. I did not think he would be doing it that early, um, but that's happening. I think Zach Britton is a few series away, maybe the end of next week. And uh, Luis Severino, I don't know, just a bunch of bullshit updates. Uh, I think they said he's getting starts six days apart or something like that, and I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if they have an exact date, maybe early early July you know but that's that so we may as well get into the series quickly summarize it and then talk about what we liked what we did not like and so forth so again this is episode 256 of BD4 where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis Yanks choke away sweep. That's exactly what they did. They choked away a sweep. Could not complete the Twins sweep. So if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, be sure to do that right now. You can sub to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts. We're sponsored by Anchor. Many more listening platforms. You can watch us on YouTube. If you haven't yet, 
be sure to do that right now. Subscribe, download, share, rate and review us on iTunes, all that stuff. I do Yankees episodes after every series, and of course, when the Knicks are in season, we talk Knicks every two games. And we will be back with the Knicks soon. Some off-season talk. If you haven't yet subscribed to the blog that I read a blog, recapping every Knicks game, every Yankees game, you can follow that. And of course, follow me on social media. All that stuff, podcast, the blog, my social media. Just get all that on my link tree. So if you go to my link tree, linktr.ee forward slash RJ Carbone, that will take you to a page that displays all my links. All right. App 256 of the pod tonight. We'll get right into it as soon as we get back from break. Be right back. So the first game of this series, <laughs> hey, it was it was hey, it was a good win. Um, Jordan Montgomery, well, you get the eight to four win, eight to four. Yankees win, defeat the Twins eight four. Jordan Montgomery versus old pal Michael Pineda, Big Mike. Boy, did he get big! <laughs> oh shit. Um, didn't start great. Looked like it was going to be another one of those miserable. Yankees losses as we've suffered way too much lately. Bottom of the first. Jeffers. Two uh, two RBI double. Makes it two zip twins. Yanks don't score until the top of the fifth. And it was a very Yankees half inning. (laughs) Aaron Judge in RBI walk. uh, And then Brett Gardner. A bit later. Scores on a pass ball, 2-2 two to two tie. Gardner gets a sack fly later on in the game. It's 3-2 to two Yankees. Um, then you get two outs in the sixth inning. That's when Montgomery left in the game. Remember, Boone came out. It looked like Montgomery thought he was going to take him out. So Montgomery, you could see the body language. He was unhappy. But then Boone, you know. Not here to take you out, not here to take you out. Looked like that was what he was saying when they showed the replay. Something like that. You could tell he was gesturing to him that he was not out there to take him out. Um, Let him stay in the game. And I liked it, first off. 
Um, but he let him stay in the game, and he surrendered a double to Rob Refsnyder. And that double tied the game. Three to three. Um, later on in the eighth inning, the Yankees play some small ball. Sack bunt, a few ground ball fielders choice, eventually makes it five to three Yankees. Then later on for some insurance runs, Miguel Andujar, Gary Sanchez, they go yard. Yankees relieve it with Lasagna, Green, and Peralta. Go in the final three and a third. Just one and run, one K. And yeah, I had no issue. So it was a good win. I had no issue with Aaron Boone at the time leaving Montgomery in. I think it's good. Let him try and get through it for once because he never lets him get through it. Montgomery is one of those guys who Boone doesn't let go deep into it. He doesn't let him throw a lot of pitches. He always does that to him. He'll let him start an inning, but he'll pull him the first time he sees trouble. He'll pull him. But for a change, I like that he gave him you know, I think it might give Montgomery some confidence, if anything. You know, to that he, you know, his manager gave him, had faith in him. So I didn't, I did not mind it. Uh, it just didn't turn out good, but it sucks that he couldn't get out of it and get his six innings. Just missed a quality start, but overall, you know, it was another fine, decent outing, and you're going to get a lot of fine, decent outings with Jordan Montgomery. That's who he is. Uh, you got five and two-thirds, three earned runs, six strikeouts. Changeup was his best out pitch, I, I would like to say. I didn't look at the, the analytics, but just by recalling off the top of my head, uh, I think the changeup was his best pitch. And the curveball got some outs. But he was good. The bats, he had 14 hits, two walks. Only struck out five times. One double play. Two for 15 with runners in scoring position. 11 left on base, which looks really, really bad. It is really bad. But there were a lot of hard hit balls that were unrewarded. So do keep that in mind. And the Yankees just, it was good to see them hit the ball. It's a step in the right direction. And they scored runs in the end. Uh, I think all but one starter recorded a hit. Aaron Judge, he did walk though, so that you know that brought the, the first run in for the Yankees. So that was the first game of the set. The Yankees took the victory 8-4. to four. Yeah. Game 2. Yankees take this one 9-6. to six. Um, <laughs> Garrett Cole versus uh, Randy Dobnak. The Uber Lyft driver, who the Twins just picked up, and now he's pitching for them. He's got a nice contract. He's winning. Certainly didn't win this one, though. Oof. Uh, Judge homers off him in the first inning. one nothing. Stanton homers twice off of him. <laughs> he gives up four homers. He had Stanton twice, Judge once, uh, Miggy homered. Miggy later hit a sack fly in the game off of their bullpen. Speaking of bullpens, uh, Krisky, Brooks Krisky, who I don't know why is even on the roster, makes it way too close in the ninth. You know, it was 9-2 to two entering the ninth. He comes in, he gives up four runs, and 
nine to six is the final score. Oh, I actually missed that part. I had to step out for a brief minute. I missed like the final inning and a half. But thankfully, uh, it didn't end the way it ended on game in game three on uh, Thursday night. But yeah, it gave the Yankees their first win. If there's one thing you could take from that Krisky outing, it was that it gave the Yankees their first win when allowing five runs or more. So so thank you, Brooks Krisky, for, you know, busting that over, what were we, like 0-11, 0-12 or something like that during that, in those scenarios. So thank you to, uh, to Brooks of a different dynamic but it worked the numbers don't lie um but obviously this was the game that was all about the the garrett cole josh donaldson storyline you have the spider tech you know the whole thing with spider tech which listen the league is allowing it it's technically not allowed to use this substance but nobody's getting in trouble for it. And they came out. You know, Trevor Bauer's doing it. Everybody's doing it. If, if You have to imagine if Cole is doing it. If Bauer. Like if the top pitchers in the game are doing it. At least. And this may even be a low number. At least 50% of baseball is doing it. But it was, you know. If, if they're going to make it illegal officially and start doing shit on it, like, because it's always, I think it's in the rule book, it's illegal, but baseball doesn't really care. But if they're going to start caring and if they're going to start handing down suspensions, like they say, then you can't use it anymore. And I hope that Cole knows that. But it was, it was a, it was a rough interview. You know, if anybody listened to it, when they asked Garrett what he, um, who, ah, it was Ken something asked him, the reporter who asked him, do you use spider tack? And I think he just threw it out there just as some like throwaway question. Didn't expect to hit gold. <clears throat> but man, did he. When Cole started like pausing for seven seconds and going uh, um and stuttering, Ken was probably like, oh shit, I have something here. And so it was just, it was rough because Cole, he was stumped. And I don't know how the Yankee PR team I don't know, Jason Zillow and the rest of those guys. I don't know how they didn't prep him. How did they not know this question was coming? You're being interviewed the the day of playing the Twins, who player on their team just called you out for using spider tack. How does Yankee PR not prep him with some bullshit non-answer answer? But Cole, I mean, he may as well have just said, yeah, I use it. Like, that's how bad it was. I mean, he paused for about seven seconds, then stuttered for about the next seven. And then he finally gave an answer saying, I don't know how to answer that. Blah, blah, blah. The older generation passed it down. Dude, it was suck. It was bad. It made me cringe. But. The best thing to do is to answer those questions on the field. And Cole went out there and he, you know, 
washed it away. For the meantime, I guess, he diminished the noise. And he went out there and he pitched very good. Wasn't dominant. Six innings, two runs, nine strikeouts. The only two blemishes were the, the two solo home runs. But he was good. And he was good specifically against Josh Donaldson. <laughs> he struck him out twice. Um, but it was it was more just the the swagger that Garrett Cole brought to him. First of all, he was throwing the hardest statistically he had in a start ever. Which is hilarious as fuck. But you could see. Those, he was 0 for 3 on him. Donaldson was. The first two were strikeouts. And he had no chance. Like, throwing 100 on the gun. Getting him to whiff on these curveballs. He struck his ass out twice. Just the long stare downs. And then to make it better, the tip of the cap at the end, that second tip of the cap was so much more standout. Like, you know, he was, like, it was passive aggressive, but you know, he was doing it. Oh, I loved it. And then to add on to that, you had Donaldson cursing himself out as he walked back to the dugout, just super pissed at himself. And Cole knew he won. Spectacular. And the best part about it to me, I don't think people are talking about it enough, was that Josh Donaldson, the very minute Cole left the game, then he got a hit. He got a hit as soon Cole as soon as Cole left the game. Which I loved that. I loved it. Because it felt like to me, that means that he was that Donaldson was uh or Cole was in Donaldson's head, right? If he didn't get a single hit the first three at-bats, then he gets a hit. It's like, oh, wow, that was a mental thing. He was actually pressing. So I loved that. That made it feel like... I, I, I was happy that he wasn't over four. Because, you know, you could have just said, oh, it just wasn't his night. But the fact that he got a hit when he left, I was like, oh, yes. That was Garrett Cole who was doing all that. And he was doing it for that reason that he called him out. So... Good game. Six innings, two runs, um, nine strikeouts. Now, the, the RPMs, if you're a spin right guy, they were still down. They weren't down as drastically, but they were down on certain pitches. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. I really don't know what to expect. But, you know, it's it's... Do I expect Garrett Cole to go from a number one ace to a number five pitcher? No, he's not gonna. I I would hope he was still he would still be Garrett Cole without that shit. I hope he can at least still be Garrett Cole. Um, I'm sure it helps to a degree, but I just I'm nervous a bit as to how much it helps because I was I was looking up. I saw on Twitter somebody posted a picture of Spider Tack because you they they had they took a picture from Amazon. They looked it up on Amazon, Spider Tech. And you know how Amazon has those pictures when they're trying to advertise their product? So one of those pictures was a dude using Spider Tech to hold up a cinder block with his hand opened, just like this. So it's it that shit works. You know, it's different than just pine tar, ordinary pine tar to help with the grip, sure. But Spider Tech is being used to manipulate what the baseball does to get more spin out of the ball and get more control over it as well. It's significant. So hopefully whenever it is they do crack down on this, it doesn't affect Garrett Cole to a point where he becomes Pittsburgh Garrett Cole. But um, 
you know, I don't, there's no answer right now. We have to see what, hap- what happens. Um, it's just interesting to me. So, Cole did that. Uh, Dobnak was awful. Dude just looked super uncompetitive, just non-competitive. He just didn't look like he was competing out there. Gave up. Goes four and two-thirds, eight earned runs, four home runs, 11 hits. One of the worst performances I've seen from a starting pitcher in a while. Um, Yankee offense produced 15 hits, three walks, just four strikeouts. Again, putting the bat in the ball. One for eight in scoring position, eight men left on base, one double play. All starters except DJ LeMayu and Glaber Torres hit, um, but Glaber did walk. That was game two. We'll get to game three as soon as we get back from break. Be right back. This one sucked because it felt like we were supposed to win this. Like I said, Yankees lose seven to five. Um, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> you had Michael King versus old pal Jay Happ. Gosh, who's having a rough patch right now? Had a good start to the season, but he's come down to earth for sure lately. Um, top of the first inning, Stanton again going deep. A three-run blast again. Three-nothing Yankees. Geo makes it four to one in the fourth with a home run. Uh, then Andrelton Simmons answers back with an RBI double in the bottom of the fourth. That makes it four to two. DJ though answers back an RBI single in the sixth. Five to two Yankees. But from there, the Yankee bats kind of just quieted down, and then you got obviously to the bottom of the ninth. Araldis comes in. With the .39 ERA, just one run on that solo shot on the entire year. Gives up two home runs. So doubles a season total in homers on the year in just one inning of work. Technically zero innings. He didn't pitch a single. He didn't get a, he didn't record a single out. But he gives up the home run to Donaldson. Big blow there. But then the biggest blow... The walk-off to Nelson Cruz. That's the game. It sucked. And I saw my my buddy posted something on Facebook. And Instagram. No sleeves Chapman. When he wears the turtleneck but has no sleeves. He's 0-2. So it's a shitty... It doesn't look cool at all without the sleeves. But he's not pro. He's 0-2 in that. He's 0-2. When he's got the short sleeves on, 
He's 0-2. So I need Chapman to bring back for long sleeves. And my buddy Greg posted that. And he said, fire Boone for letting him wear the turtleneck without the sleeves. He posted that. And he, and he got he got a response to it. And some person, some person thought he was being serious. Telling him, you're crazy for saying that. That's a stupid statement. It just made me go, yo, we need help. We got some real... So, like, the internet is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Let's just put it that way. It is not for everyone. But the analytics don't lie. I'm not going to lie to you and say... He's been good without the sleeves. Because he's not been good without the long sleeves. So, I'm going to have... You know, we're, we, Chapman's going to have to put those things back on. Please. It's like the, the braids with Julius... Although that was kind of debunked in the playoffs because Jesus Christ. Um, other than that, you know, it was a good offensive game overall. Looking at it all together, 12 more hits, two walks, just five strikeouts. So 14 strikeouts in these three games. That's good. Very good. Um, one double play, two for nine in scoring position, eight left on base. First seven guys all hit. Um, he had multi-hit efforts from DJ LeMayu. He had two hits. Glaber Torres had three hits to lead the squad. Gio Urshela had two hits, a triple, and a home run. And Miggy Andahar had a couple of hits as well. That was the offense. That was the lineup. The lineup was good. Michael King. Uh, yeah, I wish he went a little more, man. I wish he gave him a little bit more, a little better of an outing. But he ends up going three and two-thirds, two earned runs, three strikeouts. Hard for him to be any more than what he's been so far, which is decent. Because he doesn't have a ton to work with in his arsenal. He's got that you know, sinker, two-seamer, and that's about it. And occasionally he'll throw that change-up. But the changeup isn't a terrific secondary pitch. It's just, it's only the sinker for him. The sinker is the only pitch he has. Sometimes he'll cut it, tail it, but that's the pitch he has. And it's, he needs better secondary pitches. Kind of like Jamison Tyone. But, yeah, he only goes three and, uh, three and two thirds. And then, you know. Some guys were good out of the pen, but obviously Chapman and Wandy Peralta, who he sucks, by the way. <laughs> like that guy's just always giving up runs. I'm sorry, you can you can justify it, try and justify it all you want. I don't think that was a good deal. I don't. I didn't really care at the time, but I would have preferred to keep Mike Talkman. Wandy Peralta is is a journeyman random. <laughs> Let's be real here. Mike Talkman was a decent fourth outfielder. But this Peralta guy has not done anything but bullshit for us. He sucks. He's got like a five year right. Um alright, that was that was game three. Shitty ending. At least the bats woke. You know, that's that's the the semi positive. <laughs> Um, you've got Miguel Andujar, Gary Sanchez, who've been great of late. 
Um, but my goodness, man, I, I tell you what, I can't with David Cohn and Ryan Rucco in the booth. That's listen. I'm sure they're excellent people. I'm sure they know a lot of baseball. Obviously, they knew a lot of baseball. But them in the booth together, it's like Squidward and SpongeBob. It's just like I'm Squidward and they're SpongeBob and Patrick. I can't. I just can't with it. Their commentary about Miggy and Gary at the end of was it game two? Brutal. Absolutely brutal commentary. Comeback story. Comeback story. What a great feeling. How amazing would it be? Man, it's so good to, to see that, like, pipe down. Like, it's been like a 10, 12 game span for these guys. Like, let's, let's, let's slow the roll. And, and oh my gosh, after the game, I'm hearing about. Oh no, he said it during it. David Cohn was saying how Gary's faced so much scrutiny. And I'm, I'm seeing this article after the game um, saying like, Gary Sanchez has faced more scrutiny than most players in MLB history. I'm like, give me a friggin' break. Are you kidding me with that? Gary Sanchez has faced more scrutiny than anybody in the game. Really? And what exactly is Gary Sanchez faced? Being that this guy has been with the organization since he was 16, 17 years old. And still refuses to learn the language of English to speak to the media. Well, who is he facing? What are we talking about here? Talking through a translator is difficult? That's like he's I'm sure he'll be fine. And let's not act like this guy's not brought it on himself. I mean, isn't this the same guy who's multiple times throughout his career gotten criticized for not hustling? That's on Gary. Isn't this the same guy who's came into camp overweight before? That's on Gary. What are we talking about here? Why are we throwing a pity party for a guy who's done it to himself? I'm not about that, man. I'm not about... Like, these players get coddled enough by their ballless, sackless puppet of a manager. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for a guy who's done it to himself. Listen, I am rooting for him. I am rooting for Gary Sanchez like crazy. But I'm just saying, the way they were talking about him, man, and the way I'm hearing all these like these Yankees fans just advocating for it, Gary to get all this sympathy. Oh my gosh. Let's let's be real here, man. Let's not act like this is Gary Sanchez who has been so great. Like it's, like it's rookie season Gary Sanchez. No. He's been bad. He's deserved this scrutiny because he's been dog shit. And his effort at times, and a lot of times, has been beyond dog shit. <laughs> I just... I, I was like, What? We're talking like this guy's a saint. Like he's some humble player who has spent the effort to, to learn to speak to the media. No, this guy hasn't had to face anything. He's been dog shit and he doesn't get reprimanded because his manager doesn't have balls like Girardi did. Give me a fucking break. But yeah, I'll give him credit. Him and Miggy have hit well. Miggy's hitting well. Miggy, I'm really, I'm really excited about Miggy. I'm really hoping he's back now. I don't know if he is because he's not... I don't know. It, it's still early. But, you know, five home runs for Miguel in his last eight games. Uh, he's also got... He's been hitting for a while. He's been hitting ever since, like, the first four games. He, he went hitless 0 for 12. But since then, he's been hitting the ball. Since then, 
He's 313 average with an 812, or I'm sorry, an 832 OPS. Um, this series, in particular, he was 6 for 11, which is a 545 average. He had a 1,662 OPS. And all that has gotten his years, uh, his numbers on the year, up to, you know, getting closer to respectability. 271, 720, batting average slash OPS. So, you know, he's hitting the ball on the nose again. Hopefully he's getting closer to being that guy that we once saw in 2018. That line drive hitter, that gap-to-gap hitter. Guy who could hit you those doubles down the line, too. Hopefully that Miggy's back. The helicopter swing, the violent swing, that exit velo. He hits the ball very hard. Hopefully that guy's back. And I love the, uh, I just love his, his approach. I know it's not the most efficient analytics. People don't love him because he doesn't walk a ton, but it's like, he reminds me so much of one of my favorite Yankees from back in the day in Alfonso Soriano. So he was good. Uh, and defensively, he remains fine for now. And he had a mishap again, uh, this series, but he also had an assist and he actually leads the team with three assists. Tied with Aaron Judge. So, if he continues to do the routine shit, I'll live with that in left field. I guess the big question is, can he make me comfortable enough without with him in left field by the time, I was going to say the postseason, but we don't even know. Let's say by the time September comes, because we could be trying to push for the postseason with how we're playing this year. That's the big question, is... Can he make me comfortable enough between now and September? You know, does he get better? Hopefully he gets better and better. But Miggy's hitting well. And that's only good. That's only good things. It's good for us as a team. And it's good for him, you know, for us for us in case we need to use that as trade bait. Um, and there's a guy I'm going to talk about at the end of the show. Gary Sanchez, like I said, he's I'll give him credit because he has hit lately. His last 12 games in particular, he's hit. He's hitting 342 with a 419 on base, a 579 slugging, and that equates to a 998 OPS in his last dozen games. Him too, he's barreling up the ball again. And I, what I like about this streak he's on right now is 13 hits in his last 12. Of those 13 hits, 11 of them are not home runs. And I love it. I think that's a really good sign. If you're trying to pick at something here and say maybe he can turn it around to a degree. I think that's a good sign. Is that... I don't want to say a really good sign. <laughs> I think that's a little ahead of myself because he's, you know, as streaky as could be. But if you're trying to nitpick and, and say, oh, you know, maybe he's decent. I do like that 11 of the 13 were not home runs. He's able to barrel the ball, and he doesn't have to hit a home run to get on base. That's what I like to see. And so this streak has gotten his overall numbers up to 218 average, 331 on base, and a 401 slugging. So nothing great, but like to Gary expectations, it's an improvement from recent years. And at this point, he's like one little hot, one more hot streak away. From getting the numbers 
to uh, at a he's one hot streak away from getting those numbers to like a point that I would live with. Like again, I know he's streaky, but if he remains hot for like a week longer or two weeks, or remains good, and he gets the average to like two thirty-five, if he can hover around like it's it's crazy that I'm saying this, but if he can hover around two thirty-five, two forty, preferably, and keeps giving you power, I'll live with that. At this point, I know it's a shell of who he used to be. But I will live with that given the Mendoza hitter we've been getting the past three seasons. I'll live with 235. You know. As crazy as that sounds. I will live with something close to 240. And again, don't get me wrong, man. I, I criticize him all the time. I am rooting for him, though. I'm rooting for every Yankee to do well. Everyone to do well. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Gary. I'm not a diehard Gary fan. Gary is scary. L. Kraken, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not some Gen Z 16-year-old loser who, you know, fangirls the guy. But I'm rooting for him. I want him to do well so my baseball team wins games. You know, it's not like... I feel like Gary fans, Gary diehards, feel like everybody wants him to... No. I'm sure there are some old boomers who just don't like him. And they want him to fit. But like, no, most people, most Yankees fans want him to succeed. But they're just tired of his shit. And that's very much understandable, given how bad he's been. And we're tired of like the, the diehard Gary guys giving us these, you know, these 16-year-old goofs. Giving us these expected stats. These analytics expected numbers. That's where I hate some people. Like... Some of you people don't know how to use analytics. Those expected stats are supposed to be used as positive indicators. Not for how that player is doing at the moment. I don't care if it's if the stats say he is going to turn around or he should be doing better than what he is. No. The fact that he's not doing well yet, he's allowed to be criticized then and there. Just because your expected stats say that he's going to turn it around or he shouldn't be hitting as bad as he's hitting, that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve criticism at that time. If he's not producing, he's going to get criticized. And that's how it works in baseball. That's how it works in New York. And it's unfortunate. He set those expectations for himself. He had a great first two seasons and then he just plummeted. Then he hit in the 100s. Then he had the year where he had a good first half, and then he had a really bad July and so forth. And then he had last year, right, where he hit 140-something. Abysmal. Then he had the bad start this year, but maybe he's starting to turn things around. I don't know. I don't think so, because I know this guy's so like I, we're, we're all so used to him. But if he is, if he is going to turn around and he hovers around that mark I said, and is decent, and he hits home runs, I'll take it. But like the whole thing with the expected stats, let's let's pipe it down. I'm not going to cheer. For, I'm not going to like, he's doing so good because the stats say he will do good. No, if he's not doing good, I'm going to say he's not doing good. Just, it's so incredible to me how, how much 
excuses get made for him from some of these like like at these sixteen year old fans. <laughs> uh, who else is hot? Stanton's hot. He was six for fifteen this series. He had three home runs and eight RBIs. Making contact again, man. When he puts the bat on the ball, he barrels it. It goes a long way, and it goes a long way fast. Babe Ruth shit when he's hot. Uh, but unfortunately, now he won't start until Tuesday. Which is bullshit, because he's 31 years old. He's not 91 years old. He's 31 years old. It'll be okay if you let him play the outfield for one of those two games, even. We're going to a National League ballpark, so he's not going to be able to play. Because the Yankees are scared. They're terrified of him play- at the idea of him playing the outfield. So what are they going to do in the playoffs? So, I mean, he might get like a pinch hit appearance or two. Hopefully he gets as many at-bats as he can. Because we know how he is after long layoffs. He will go through those pitiful slumps. And he's hot right now. You don't want to sit a hot hitter. I'm really a believer in the hot hand. That's another thing I'm I'm big on. That the analytics aren't. I believe in the hot hand. It's not a fallacy. No. So. I don't know, man. I, I just, like, just do it. Just play him in the outfield. If you gotta throw Judge in center and then have Stanton play one of the corner spots and Miggy in left and Stanton in right, fucking so be it. You know? He's hot. And he's gonna take that out of the lineup. Glaber Torres also continues to hit the baseball. Since getting called out for dogging it against the Atlanta Braves earlier in the season, he's been good since then. 39 games. He's hitting 317 average with an 806 OPS. Um, if you want to dwindle it down to his last eight games, Labor is 387 average, 977 OPS. On the year, 271, 724. So. It's, it's just the power with him. It's unfortunate, but the power is gone. It's really sad. Hopefully he can end up salvaging that and he finishes the year. At this point, if he finishes the year with 20-something homers, like 20 to 25, I'll take that. But it's so unfortunate to see that his power has plummeted so far ever since his second season. But at least he's starting to hit the baseball. He looks more like a hitter. The balanced approach is back. He's using all fields. He's going the other way. He's doing Glaber Torres stuff. He just needs to start hitting more homers and doubling. And the slugging percentage is bad. It's it's three sixty five or something like that. Not gonna fly. Got to start hitting for power. Having a middle infield, a middle infielder be able to again just hit your 20 to 25 homers would be great but we'll see at least he's hitting the ball uh, even Brett Gardner swinging a decent bat this series <laughs> played the first two games then he sat versus the lefty Hap um, he went 4 for 7 a couple of doubles he had a sack fly a sack bunt two ribbies 
his average is now up to 211. So between Gardner, Gary, and Miguel Andujar, that's three less guys under the Mendoza for a change. So we're, we're finally getting above that mark. Um, the next stop is 250 for all these guys. So that would be nice. Um, and then that's it. You know, the bats all together, you had 22 runs on 41 hits. If you average that out over the three-game span, that's seven-run average on 14-hit average. So the lineup turned it around. Hopefully that's something that carries into the Philly series and, you know, every series after that. But we will see. Again, we, we always bish the Twins, so I'm not taking that with anything else than a grain of salt. So we'll be right back. Uh, I want to talk on one more subject matter. Uh, when we return. Because um, it's somebody I wanted to discuss for a while. But I never got to it. Just I, I kept forgetting. So we'll touch on this player. And then. Uh, yeah. We'll do that when we get back. And then we'll wrap it up with the QOD. BRB. Need to check this Suns game real quick to see if I have the over or I'm on pace for the over. Looks like it. So it's 59.55. Let's see. I gotta see where Booker is with points. Okay, good. He's got 15. It's almost it's halftime. Okay. That's good. It looks like I'm just hey, it looks like I might strike gold with both of my parlays tonight. That is different. That is something we don't experience often. <laughs> um so with, with the Yankees struggling as much as they are defensively and offensively, a lot of people are talking about this one guy, this one kid. Um, the Arizona Diamondbacks have him. This is one second here. Yeah, this is the guy from Arizona. And you look at the Diamondbacks, they are in last place at 20 and 43 in a division that's pretty tough. Some damn good National League teams in the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants who are in first place. So you're thinking, the Diamondbacks, you know, Derek Hall probably figuring they're far away from, from contention. So why would you keep this kid who's 27 years old? And why wouldn't you become sellers and, you know, think it's it's best to get something back for him while you can? It's the perfect time to do that. This is Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte. And I think Cattell Marte, I, I love this idea of getting him. I don't expect it. I don't expect the Yankees to be buyers. Because we all know Brian Cashman likes his little small, nifty, dumb little signings. He doesn't like to strike big in the middle of the season, at least. He's not that guy. Plus, the market's been kind of quiet. But this is a guy who I feel like could be, should be a realistic option. Like, they should not 
not look at him. 27-year-old kid, so he's at his peak. You know, he's, his best years are to come right now. He's versatile, he's athletic, he plays center field, and he plays both the middle infield positions. That's what we need. We need a utility guy who plays every day. He's an upgrade over all three positions for the Yankees there. And he allows some certain guys to go back to their natural positions, right? Gio Urshela can play shortstop, but you want him at third base mostly. Tyler Wake can play a bunch of positions. He's that utility guy, but his bat is too light. He's not a guy you want getting at bats. Brett Gardner, he's not producing enough in center. Frazier, not producing enough. It puts pressure on those guys to, like, we can get real creative. If we get a, a Cattell Marte, it, it gives us a lot more flexibility with a defense. And offensively, he's good too. He's a switch hitter. So, get rid of that right-handed heavy lineup. Or help help get some more balance in there. You have a switch hitter, high contact rate, puts the ball in play, and he's got some pop. That year where he placed top four in MVP, he had over 30 home runs. Um, and you look at the financials here, he's under team control. His contract is five years, $24 million, with two team options. So he is perfect for this market. Perfect for this market. Hitting 365, 977 on the year. And looking at Rosenthal's tweet, the package that he was projecting, projecting the Yankees to throw at them, had to do with, uh, it included Florial and Garcia, which if you're a Yankees brain, uh, Yankees fan with a brain, that's a no-brainer. That was kind of a ironic statement or, or hypo- not hypocritical. What do you fucking call it? I'm just a pretty shallow statement. It's a no-brainer. Whatever. You do it. You're trying to win now. You trade Flory Allen Garcia. Yes. And I was reading an article about this kid. It works out. It was saying even if the Yanks decide to stay under the lugs tax, it wouldn't rule out Marte. That his luxury hit is just, uh, I think it's $4.8 million, it said. This season. So it would be half of that by July. And if he's set to make $8 million next year with club options... The following two seasons at ten million and then twelve million. That's damn good, man. That's like something you don't look away from. Twenty twenty three option comes with a one million dollar buyout, and twenty twenty four comes with a one point five million dollar buyout. This is all from the article I was reading. Uh, I think it was Bronx Pinstripes, their blog. So the 2024 option uh, vests with 1,100 plate appearances across 2022-2023 and 550-2023, plus not finishing the year on the DL. So just some you know, incentives, um, $2 million for winning the MVP in addition if he does that. Uh, he'll get $1 million for placing second to fifth place in the voting. 
and then he'll get 500,000 for placing sixth to 10th. Those are some incentives he has on the contract. So this is a guy who's affordable. He's a guy who's a damn good player, and I would certainly welcome a Cattell Marte to my Yankees, man. Just something to keep an eye on. If they're really continuing to, if they continue to struggle offensively, and this twin series was nothing was nothing more than just running into the perfect remedy and a team you bitch around, and the lineup goes back to being abysmal, you've got to look at this. You've got to look at this kid. Get off your ass and do something for a change in, in the middle of the season. Like actually try to improve this team and don't worry about the lug stacks. It would work. It would be nice. I would take Cattell Marte. So, just something I wanted to mention real quick. Um, and that's it. That's all we've got for the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of BD4. We're going to have to break one last time. When we get back, we'll get to the question of the day and we'll wrap it up from there. Be right back. So, last time out in our NYYNYK question of the day, for episode 255, I asked you guys, who was the only Yankees player from 2002 to 2007 to record a five-hit game versus the Boston Red Sox? The answer to that question, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was the answer to that question. This episode, 256, our NYYNYK question of the day. Which Yankee pitched the only perfect game in World Series history? Alright, so one last time. Which Yankee pitched the only perfect game in World Series history? So let me know the answer to that episode. Whether that be in my DMs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or in the comments section once I publish this podcast. And, you know, promote it on my social media. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. This is episode 256 of the podcast, and that's all I've got. I'm your host, RJ Carbone, once again. Just said that. Hope everybody enjoyed, and I'll see you in the next episode. All right. Ciao. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. The best way to make a podcast is to go to anchor.fm or download the Anchor app.